Hello, and welcome to the May's Editor's Commentary for Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is the prospective trial of frequent versus infrequent monitoring of endotracheal tube cup pressure in ventilated subjects. Letvin and co-workers found no difference in ventilator-associated events, ventilator-associated pneumonia, or hospital length of stay between these two groups. Interestingly, the 30-day hospital readmission rate was lower for the infrequent monitoring group, but this finding was unexplained. Mealy and others discussed the less is more principle as it relates to airway management in an accompanying editorial. They point out that many procedures, such as ventilator circuit changes, have evolved to less frequent intervention. Management of the endotracheal tube and cuff pressures as it relates to ventilator-associated pneumonia using continuous cuff pressure control requires further investigation. In the interim, this trial demonstrates that more frequent monitoring does not translate into improved outcomes. Fitz-Clark provides an analysis of gastric insufflation during manual ventilation via face mask. Unique to this work is the finding that the duration of inspiration impacts gastric insufflation based on the duration of time in which airway pressure exceeds the esophageal opening pressures. Previous work has always favored low flow and longer inspiratory times. Barnes and Warb describe the importance of these findings in the accompanying editorial. Manual ventilation has the capacity to help and harm based on the attention and the skills of the operator, something respiratory therapists need to be familiar with. Interprofessional education has become an important component of training individuals to work effectively as a team. Zemyan and others look at interprofessional education among respiratory therapy, occupational and nursing students with respect to patient transfer. This is a simulation study and demonstrates that knowledge of other professions' roles and responsibilities enhances future collaboration. In an accompanying editorial, Clark suggests that interprofessional education helps break down historical silos and enhance accountability. This represents another tool for educators and should be implemented into already crowded curriculums. El Torre colleagues contribute two papers on incentive spirometry. The first is a survey of healthcare providers on their perceived effectiveness of incentive spirometry, and the second, a survey regarding compliance with incentive spirometry. They report that more than 90% of respondents find IS essential to patient care and that it should be used routinely postoperatively. Beliefs of caregivers regarding incentive spirometry were common, but uniformly are not supported by the scientific evidence. In the second study, respondents believed that compliance was poor and that patients were often a limiting factor in the success of incentive spirometry. Clearly, incentive spirometry continues to be a commonly employed therapy with emotional support by caregivers. However, beliefs and important components of incentive spirometry are not supported by high-quality evidence. The AERC guidelines on incentive spirometry have been clear on many of these points for over a decade. Cough assist or mechanical insufflation exsufflation has become a standard therapy in neuromuscular disease to facilitate secretion clearance. Anderson and co-authors provide some novel, novel observations on the impact of insufflation exsufflation on laryngeal function in patients with ALS. ALS disease progression was associated with a number of adverse laryngeal events during insufflation. They point out, that, point out that high insufflation pressures in ALS can become counterproductive as the disease progresses. Titating pressure to individual patients is likely important to the efficacy of mechanical insufflation exsufflation. Fernandez Zamora described the relationship of prolonged mechanical ventilation and mortality following cardiac surgery. This retrospective analysis finds that ICU mortality is associated with severity of illness, 
bypass time, surgery time, and prolonged mechanical ventilation. In subject requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation, sepsis was the leading cause of death, while cardiogenic shock was responsible in subjects not on prolonged mechanical ventilation. These data likely demonstrate that prolonged ventilation is a function of the severity of illness and outcome. As such, prolonged mechanical ventilation and mortality would tend to go hand in hand. Pediatric home mechanical ventilation has grown markedly in the last two decades as devices have improved and hospital survival rates have climbed. Amner Novin and colleagues described the pediatric home mechanical ventilation cohort over a period of 26 years. In this report, neuromuscular disease accounted for half of the subjects requiring mechanical ventilation, followed by chronic pulmonary disease in a third of subjects. Two-thirds of the subjects were cared for at home with the remainder cared for in a skilled nursing facility. Patients receiving positive end expiratory pressure at discharge increased significantly over time, likely reflecting improvements in understanding of pathophysiology and enhanced performance characteristics of the ventilator devices. Dionizo et al. evaluated the impact of mouthpiece design on the results of impulse oscillometry in normal subjects. While subjects did not perceive any difference in the comfort related to mouthpiece design, there were differences in measurements of lung mechanics. They found that the mouthpiece with the lowest resistance was less likely to impact IOS results. They suggest that studies using IOS should include the mouthpiece used to assure consistency. Chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension is an orphan disease representing one of the most common causes of precapillary pulmonary hypertension. Evaluation of disease progression is often based on new symptoms. Anagaki and co-workers evaluated heart rate and oxygen saturation during the six-minute walk test in a group of 31 subjects with thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. They found that subjects with more severe disease had longer heart rate acceleration and longer SpO2 recovery times. These findings were associated with pulmonary hemodynamics, suggesting that the six-minute walk test could be a non-invasive method for following disease progression. COPD is a progressive disease primarily treated with therapies and aimed at symptomatic relief. Dyspnea is perhaps the major symptom burden in COPD. Danes devised a high-frequency airway oscillating device intended to reduce dyspnea in these patients. They enrolled 23 subjects with COPD in a respiratory muscle training program that included the use of the device over an eight-week period. This small trial demonstrated improvements in maximal inspiratory and expiratory pressures and a reduction in the Medical Research Council score from four to three. Adequately powered randomized control trials are needed to verify these findings. Huckle and colleagues tackle the use of antibiotics as anti-inflammatory treatment in COPD. This narrative review includes data from 12 trials, including almost 4,000 subjects receiving antibiotics. Azithromycin and erythromycin demonstrated the greatest improvements in health-related outcomes, and these macrolides have mechanisms of action consistent with anti-inflammatory pathways in COPD. The routine use of antibiotics as anti-inflammatory therapy is complicated by concerns of emerging antibiotic resistance. Widespread adoption of macrolide use in COPD requires additional safety data. Intrapulmonary percussive ven ventilation is a combined positive pressure and high-frequency pulsation resulting in lung inflation and reportedly enhancing secretion removal. IPV has been available for over 30 years with limited evidence supporting use in any population with lung disease. Rickler and colleagues to provide a narrative review of IPV use for secretion clearance in subjects with chronic respiratory disease. Their analysis includes 12 studies, all of which are identified as underpowered.
The results of this review suggest that the use of IPV as an airway clearance technique in COPD is not supported by strong evidence and cannot be recommended for routine use. In cystic fibrosis, patients with that use IPV have greater satisfaction and ease of use and comfort compared to conventional chest physiotherapy. However, important patient outcomes are unchanged or untested. The continued use of IPV requires well-controlled clinical trials to assess efficacy and safety. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thanks for listening. Thank you.